Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Happy New Year's from our friends over at Manscaped. The ball has officially dropped, but that does not mean that you have to drop the ball on your balls. It's time to bring your sexy back in 2022 and step up your game with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to help them ring in the new year with the right tools for the job. Go to manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK for 20% off and free shipping. It's a new year, new you, and a new you means no pew. A six-pack is a great New Year's resolution, but how about a six-pack for your balls? The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 contains six essential tools for the ultimate below-the-waist grooming routine. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim loose hair on loose skin. The advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000 Kelvin LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land 2022 looks to be. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK. Have no regrets this year with our friends at Manscaped. This episode of Peak Speak is also brought to you by our good friends at Prism Coffee Co. These boys make some of the most delicious coffee we've had our dirty little fingers on. My favorite at the moment is the Starlight Organic Blend that is fantastic. It is a Rwandan and a Papua New Guinean, and I've got some other notes that don't really mean that much to me because I'm not a coffee expert, but I am a coffee snob, which is why I get all my coffee through the boys at Prism Coffee Co. You can head to their website, prismcoffee.com.au. Use the code PEAKSPEAKED for a, I believe, 20% discount at checkout. Get some coffee in ya. Okay, we are back for another episode of Peak Speak. First guests of the year, joined by very special guest, Dan and Paul Rucci from Rucci's Gym in where WA or wherever no, the fuck no. you guys are. I don't no. know. We, we don't <laughs> deal with that side of the country. <laughs> no. How are yeah. you, boys? You need to ignore us, right? <laughs> we're that far away. That's right. Yeah, we're good. We're good, man. It's we're been good. a while since we spoke, which was at Adelaide Nationals 2019. Right. June 2019, I think it was. Yeah, that was the last GPC Nationals that we've had. That's true as well. That's, wow. There's a lot of truth, truth going on. on yeah, on. yeah, yeah. We had um, regionals last year, but you guys couldn't come, could you? Borders were... Uh, we couldn't come. Has, has WA travel been allowed at all without, like, really harsh... Um, no, it's been very, very not restricted. Really. Yeah. It's yeah. been very restricted. None of us have gone anywhere. And, and yeah, pretty much. I think that was the last time I travelled. Pretty sure that was the last time I actually traveled Sydney last year. Last year, yeah. Oh yeah, no. So we did go to we went to Sydney last yeah, year. Yeah, we were there as well. Uh, yeah. With Paul uh, for his ICN con. Um, that was a very small window of opportunity to travel. But we weren't probably lucky to be honest. Yeah. So yeah. 
Look, That's man, crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I know. It's, 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 I know. Crazy times. When we spoke last, last time. Great, man. Say again. Apart from that, it's been really good here. Yeah, good. Good, good, good. I think you, you guys are similar to, you know, the couple of the states that haven't been locked down the whole time. So Queensland's one of them where border restrictions have been tough, but I don't know if it's been like this for you guys. It just feels like it's been super normal here the whole time. Like we haven't felt it as much as like you hear so much about all the lockdown effects in Sydney and Melbourne. Life's been pretty normal here besides wearing masks every now and then. Um, has it been much the same in Perth? Similar. Same with us, yeah. which has been a great thing, man, because, you know, what what Victoria and Sydney have gone and uh, New South Wales have gone through is brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's I'm good sorry to see you guys kicking. Yeah, it's been, it's been really good, man. I've just been getting, you know, just cranking along and doing our thing, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. You've been busy too, man, opening more gyms. Great, man. Yeah, it's coming along. It's coming along. We don't have a Shero today, so we're gonna we're gonna grill you without Shero, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I don't know. You guys can decide. Uh, I feel well, like I haven't spoken to Shero in a while, so it would have been nice to have a chat to him. That's all right. He said he might pop on, so hopefully he arrives back in time and can can swing in for maybe the latter half or something like that. Um, hmm. Last time we spoke, it was very powerlifting and nationals focused. You know, I wanted to talk today a little bit more about your individual stories and how you've sort of ended up with where you are. So who found powerlifting first or did you find it together? Uh, we definitely found it together. Mm. Yeah. We um, really introduced through Marcos who, you know, um, introduced us to Henry and then we did a, a, a comp at Henry's gym and yeah. that was really our first experience. That was 2010. So we did the Capo States here in 2010, March 2010, mm. I think it was. So, wow, that's like 12 years ago. Man. Remember your deadlift? Uh, 160. I deadlifted 160, which yeah. was, you know, it's cute. And, and what body weight? <laughs> oh, you were tiny. 80, I was 82. 82. 82. Yeah, yeah, 82. Still. Yeah. <laughs> but look, man, back then, remember, like, the, you know the sport and and just in, in general the performance of everyone has like skyrocketed in the last twelve years. Mm. You know, back then, like if you deadlift two hundred, you were like, "Whoa!" Standards have changed. The standards, <laughs> have, you know, isn't crazy. it kind of? It's kind of crazy as well to think that you know when you got into that and you looked at someone like Henry. You know, you went and trained at Henry. Uh, you went and competed at Henry's gym. You look at those people as like the OGs in the sport and the dinosaurs in the sport, and they're, they're still around. Now, those people are still mm-hmm. around, but they're, yeah, man, yeah. they're far and few between. Most people don't know about them. And now, like, our generation, who have been in it for 10, 15 years, like me and like you and Shero, we're like the dinosaurs of the sport now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. We're the ones that have been doing it forever. Don't make it's me feel older, man. Uh, look. Yeah, look, man. And you know what? And then, yeah, look, yeah. I don't even know what to say to that, to be honest, but it's true. Sometimes with all these new people coming in, I do feel like a dinosaur. I feel like I've been harping the same song for like fucking 10 years, you know? Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, but, you know, it's good and bad, I guess. But look, the sport is, in itself has changed a lot. It's been in the last few years, right? So let's go backwards from that 2010 comp. You did first comp in 2010. When did you both start actually training? And not and maybe not even powerlifting wise. Like have you been training forever or was it something that was relatively new then? Oh man, definitely not training forever. Um 
we all were soccer players. Uh, I, I played right up until I was, I think, maybe 28 or 29. And um, I found strength training through rehabilitation of an injury I sustained playing soccer. And mm-hmm. I ne- never went back to soccer. I, I like strength training. I like, you know, that sort of style of training. Um, I was probably, you know, I'd probably train well, definitely training badly. Um, and then Dan found Marcos online, you know, through his newsletters, you know, those original mm-hmm. newsletters. And he showed me, and I started reading him, and I was like, man, this I might try, you know. I mean, mm. worst worst case, it doesn't work or whatever. We actually started training in our mid-20s, though, so, you know, just general. Yeah, yeah, yeah general. Enough. We didn't find sort of strength training until about the time that I found Marcos's newsletters through the Nissan Sylvia Forum. Yeah. In fact, I'd love to go back and read some of those newsletters because I reckon they've all aged really well. Probably, yes. I reckon if you go read those newsletters, that shit will still apply today because yeah. a lot of it's just stuff fundamental that, stuff that works will always mm. work. It's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. kind of how the gym started, man. And then we sort of trained for probably a couple of years, um, and then we did a comp. Um, that was 2010, and then just kept training. Um, I mean, we did train at a commercial gym for a while. Then we decided we would set up something in my garage. Yeah, you know, a rack, a few bum plates, big kettlebell for you know the classical, you know, UDLs and whatnot. <laughs> and then, and then I don't know. I think Marcos mentioned to you about the PTC, and then next minute, yeah, well, when you know, we're looking at warehouses, you know, actually, what what actually happened was, remember when Marcos got sick, and that would have been probably early 2012. Yeah, I was trying to contact him, but he was in hospital. So I was like, because we wanted to open the gym. And we had previously spoken about opening a PT6. So I knew that he'd be okay with it. So I went ahead with him speaking to him and just did it. Okay. Yeah, that's what happened. And he was fine with it. Because um, yeah. we'd already previously had the conversation and, and sort of out the structure and all that. So, um, and then we opened the doors to PTC um, June 1st, 2012. Nice. 2012. It's two years yeah. after our first event. Yeah. So this year we're going to be ten years. And we're having a big gala dinner, like a big ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. Where are we? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Let's <laughs> assume it's happening. Exactly. Let's assume it's happening. I mean, even nationals this year in September, we have to assume that it's happening. Obviously, if they open all the borders, it's happening. You know, mm-hmm. people have COVID, also they can't they can't travel or they can't actually go anywhere. So. Man, who knows? Let's, let's just assume it's all happening. We'll come back and talk about Nashville. So I want to talk about that and sort of, you know, um, hear you guys plug the comp and what people can kind of expect. But let's go back. So you opened the gym. What were you guys both doing for careers before you opened the gym? Paul, you go first. <laughs> I mean, when we opened the gym, I was still, I've got an engineering degree. So when we opened the gym, I was still, um, you know, practicing engineering, if you like. It wasn't until quite a few years later that I, um, I, you know, I transitioned out of engineering and went full time into the gym. So I was an engineer for fourteen years. Um, obviously, a lot of good times with the boom and everything. It was, it was fantastic. And then eventually, I think I just got bored, you know, and yeah, yeah dived into the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So my story was a little bit different. So I, I've got a computer science background, a computer science degree. So I worked in the financial sector after uni for many years. Actually, probably like, yeah, I can't remember. So it's mid 20s, probably seven years in sort of financial sector. Um, and then 
I started running my own businesses. And so I've been running my own businesses probably for over 20 years now. Even when I was working full-time, I was still doing my own thing. Um, so, I, you know, Paul and I actually developed a lot of dot-com businesses, sold one to an American company. So we had some success there. And um, then I ran um, like a little lifestyle shop uh, for about a decade as well. And that sort of wrapped up about when I was about 30. Um, and then what happened was automotive lifestyle. Yeah. That still has a grin to it today. You like that? I do. Get back yeah. into it. You were ahead of your times with automotive. Life. It was very successful. But what happened, it was really successful. Then what happened was they introduced all the home laws here in Australia. Um, you know, so you couldn't you couldn't do anything to your car. You put over, they give you yellow stickers. They impound your car, um, and then literally, they literally introduced. It, I can't remember. Say 2010, like January 2010. I can't remember what year it was. I think I think it was 2010. Um, and literally, my revenues were slashed for like 80 percent from December to January, and never recovered because people stopped spending money on their cars. Crazy. Uh, it was for, and it was difficult for me to pivot because I was an aftermarket uh, automotive shop. I was, it was really difficult to pivot into something else. So I decided to pack it up, to be honest. And then I, um, because I had my computer science degree, I actually went and saw my brother's boss about potentially coming into a control systems job um, because, the, you know, my degree and, and what they do is very, it matches, it matches up quite well. And he actually told me that they only take on qualified engineers. So I was like, fuck, fuck, what the fuck do I do, right? I literally had no job, no money. I didn't know what I was going to do in my life. Um, and so I went literally the next day to the union. I enrolled in engineering. Um, and then I was sort of two weeks into my degree, into year one. <laughs> and then Paul gave me a call and he said that his boss wanted to have a chat with me. So I was like, okay, this is cool. So I went into the office and yeah, he gave me a job. So I put the hard, hard word in. It's a cool story because I'm a big believer of the universe. Right? If you put yourself out there, the universe will deliver. And so my... I guess pitch on that is like maybe I wouldn't have got the job if I don't if I didn't go and enrol in the degree, hmm. or, you know, or if you have such an awesome brother, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean. So I obviously terminated the degree. I didn't need it. I went into the job. I think I, was, I worked there for a couple of years. Yeah, and we opened the gym sort of 2012 June, and I think I quit the job literally about eight weeks after. Um, walked out. I, yeah, I walked out of the job. <laughs> well, the, I had the boss and I didn't really get along very well. Say they didn't see eye to eye. We didn't see eye to eye, and I've got a problem with authority, so <laughs> I just walked out of it and I went full time at the gym. I said, "Fuck it, if we're going to make something of this gym, he left me holding the bag." I <laughs> so I, I I quit and um went full time at the gym because I did realize, you know, and obviously previously running my own uh, business, and if we're going to make something of this, we actually have to commit. Otherwise, it's just never going to work. So that's kind of how it happened, man. And then I remember being at the gym, going there at like five, six in the morning by myself, quiet, sitting on my laptop, trying to drum my business, dead. You know, you know what it's like when you first open your gym, it's quiet, especially six in the morning. Um, and look, man, just, just kept plugging away. And yeah, I guess 10 years later, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I remember seeing pictures of, of V1 and being like, fuck, that is a gym. You know, like our, back, back then, our standards of what, an amazing powerlifting gym was was pretty much set by gyms like yours, right? Like that that was the pinnacle of it because anything before that was literally just garage style gyms. And you know, like yeah. one yeah. thing that I tell uh -huh. everyone when they're when they're like, oh wow, you know, zero is really setting a standard for what um, powerlifting gyms should be. I'm like, no, I wasn't first. Like I've been following in the footsteps of other people 
Well, even like, Scott was before us, you know. There was there was a few few people even. I mean, but even yourself, Tom, I wouldn't write yourself off, man. Like you've done really well. Obviously, you're an inspiration to gym owners. You know, when I talk to people about our gyms, which will include gyms like yours and Scott's and a couple others, we're modern powerlifting facilities. Mm-hmm. We've tried to bring the flavor of the old school and then mix that with modern facilities like, you know, like your, your, your college facilities and your big NFL, you know, those modern facilities and you bring the two together and that's what we're trying to create. Mm-hmm. Facilities that help bring down the barrier to entry, that make it more accessible to people, that make it more enjoyable, that provide good, clean facilities, Um when you bring those two together, I think that's what you get. You get gyms like ours, you get gyms like yours, you get Valhalla, um, you know, even Peter CHQ. They're the types of gyms that you get. Chero's gym. Chero's gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, I, and there's many others in Australia now that's, you know, who've done actually quite a good job. So, and I think that's contributed a lot towards why. When we, when we opened the one, like commercial gyms didn't even, they didn't have platforms. Now they've yeah. all got platforms. No. And I think what we've done, and all of us have done collectively, is help grow the sport just by providing a, a better a better base mm. for people to train, you know. Mm. Um, and now the sport, obviously, as we know, like the, the sport, you know, it's crazy. It, it's, you, I mean, did, were you when you when you guys opened PTC? Were you guys fully PTC, as in like absolutely no mirrors, never going to have machines, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yes. Because we all were at the start, <laughs> we right? Still don't have no, sorry, we still don't have mirrors. We still don't have mirrors. Oh, really? We've got mirrors. No, we don't have mirrors. We've got a mirror up here. We've got a mirror up here in the office. I've put a mirror up here in the admin area. It's not on the floor. It's, there's it's no not mirror. in the gym. It's up here. Bro, no machines, no mirrors, no treadmills, you know. Well, we still don't have a treadmill. We still don't have a treadmill. Yeah. Um, look, obviously, we have loosened some of those. You know, obviously, as our beliefs change and the way we train changes and the types of clients we work with also has diversified a little bit. We've obviously had to incorporate some of those other facets. You know, obviously, we have a couple of bikes, we have a roller, and obviously, we have a plethora of available machines now, right? Um, which are important. They are important. Let's be real. Um, but yeah, I mean, you were the same. Things I can do on a cable. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember the first machine I bought was like a $300 lap pull down that was from the 70s from some rugby club that was shutting down. And I felt so dirty for it. I'm like, I've broken, <laughs> I've broken the oath, boys. This is bad. Well, actually, we opened the gym with, with the Elite FTS leg press. So we did actually have one machine. Well, we didn't open no. No, we've been later. Just that a bit later. But it was still in V1. So but it was just so hardcore. It didn't feel, as you say, dirty. Yeah, I feel like yeah. leg press doesn't count that much as a of a machine as yeah. say like a leg extension. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it didn't feel quite as bad. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, it was a lead FTS, no. so it's like it's powerlifting. Yeah, which is exactly yeah. it's allowed. And and, and then when you and actually to and you brought like a good point is that what Paul and I have tried to do with our gym is always to try and buy proper powerlifting brands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, brands that have been in the industry for 20, 30 years, you know, Oleko, Avanco. Um, because I think as a, you know, as a premium strength gym, we try and have the best brands that we can, right? Instead of buying, you know, some of the cheap knockoffs. 
Um, and I think that's what helps separate us a little bit from everyone else a little bit as well is the fact that, you know, we have those premium brands here. We don't settle for like, you know, your cheap China knockoff stuff, you know? So um, it's just the value that we have, right? To try and support all those brands that have been around for two or three decades that have helped. Well, I actually think it was, it's really stemmed from well, when we started, we, you know, we started with, you know, sort of a modest gym, modest equipment, not, not the big brand stuff. No, that stuff just broke. Mm-hmm. We're like, if we're going to be repurchasing, we're just going to get the best stuff that lasts forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it really stems from. I mean, I remember when we bought our first Aleco bar and it was like, God yeah, damn, this thing, you know, yeah. it was sexy and, you know, you had a feeling. You know, it's got the serial number on it and it just feels rigid ditch. Um, yeah. yeah, no, and that was obviously, as you know, they're not cheap, man. So, like, even to buy one back then was like, <laughs> Yeah, it's really important for people to hear this stuff, though, because it really shows the care and energy and effort that you've put into the gym, which is not selfish. It's about supporting the gym to provide the best for the members, right? To get them the best outcome. Um, Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's part of exactly what you just, I refer to it as commercial. Like I, I see what I'm trying to do is commercializing strength training and powerlifting, which is that marriage, like you said, between the sport right. and the roots of the sport and the commercial gym style of, being clean, being accessible, being low barrier to entry, all of that sort of stuff. Um, And, you know, to to hear an independent gym owner talking about how much they've reinvested back into the gym. And, you know, if if people listening to this haven't followed Ruchi's gym for a while, go right back through their social media and see the beginnings, like see the original photos and videos and stuff like that. So you can see the growth of that gym uh, which is represented by how much you guys have put back into it, right? It's fucking awesome. Uh, one of one of our. I love going through the photo. The old one of our initial, I, I guess, um, things that we wanted to address when when growing this business was that pretty much every cent that we made, you know, most of it was put back into the gym, new equipment, um, because we knew that, that that obviously that stuff obviously lasts a lifetime. That's going to really help set us apart. But also, man, because we wanted the best for the people in the gym, we want our guys to be able to come in and have you know, have access to multiple pieces of equipment, not have to like fucking fight for one bench or one Aleco bar or one Texas deadlift bar. Um, and also it's very difficult to scale when you've got only one of those things. How do you go from a gym with 20 people to 200 people? Very difficult, right? So, you know, and obviously we've just, you know, we actually have capital heavily invested over the years, as you know. Um, but now that we're in a position, to be honest, man, we don't need to buy a lot of equipment anymore. Mm-hmm. We're pretty much well, well established. Every now and again, bits and pieces. We're talking about a few replacements here and there, but, but nothing, man. But nothing like, um, you know, look, like we don't need any more monos or benches or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we've got plenty of everything. So we're at a point now where we're quite well established. So a lot of that money that was spent on, on you know, capital can go into other areas, mm-hmm. other facets of the business, you know. So, um, look, man, it's obviously taken us a long time to get to this point. And unfortunately, obviously, when we all started, you know, the, the barrier to entry opening a gym was very low. So, you know, the timing was great to open these small gyms mm. that weren't overly well equipped. You know, well, they were minimalistic in nature. To get into this game now is very, very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Um, I'll be honest, if, if Paul and I were deciding to open a gym now, I probably wouldn't open the gym. Yeah, because the way, initial capital would be fucking a million dollars. It's way too competitive. It's way too competitive. Uh, it, You'd be out of your mind, to be honest. Like, you know what it's like in, in some of the cities over there. There's like a gym every five minutes, like a strength gym literally every five minutes. Um, yeah. Well, it's just like, yeah. And, and let's be real. We all we know that they don't, they don't, they don't all do very well. Most of them are just paying their bills, you know. You can't need a footing, like you say. You need, yeah, you know, you need some time in it. And even we'll tell you, from our perspective, it's 
gym business is very difficult. I mean, I know that people see all the Hollywood shit, they see the, you know, the gym and they, it's all Hollywood, but I mean, we do it, we still do it tough. It's not easy, not an easy business, you know, um, to keep people engaged and interested and, you know, but bring on new clients. And now we have like probably six star, six other staff members. You've got wages, you've got to make sure they're busy. So it's, you know, what it's like Tom. <laughs> challenging you know but look i love it i mean i, I personally i'm always come from the business perspective i love running a business um and i just love you know the whole, the whole process of running a business obviously i love the whole coaching side as well so it kind of brings us together nicely but yeah it's something that i'm really passionate about um because at the end of the day without some sort of sound business model the gym doesn't exist and unfortunately there's a lot of people in the country that don't really understand that um and so they'll you know that may not agree with maybe some of the that myself, Paul, even probably you do, because we've tried to, as you say, commercialize mm. um, the sport in a way. But unfortunately, for sports to grow, it, they do need to be commercialized. I mean, if you look at any big sport in the world, there's a there's a commercial um, there's a commercial layer behind it that makes it feasible, sustainable going forward. Now, unfortunately, powerlifting doesn't come from that background, which is why, let's be real, before sort of we all came into the sport, powerlifting was going down the toilet. Mm. That's the truth. I mean, I don't want to. It is. It is yeah, it's just. It absolutely it is. It is what it is. Uh, it just needed some new. It just needed a new motivator, and that was just people like us. That's all. You know. I mean, everyone had the right intentions. They just needed a. We just needed to help them you know, push it in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm definitely. I definitely come from the perspective that the sport needs to be commercialized in a way that. Uh, benefits everybody, including the members, um, because that's the only way you get growth and sustainability, right? I mean, right now you have a lot of big money comps out there. I mean, when I look at those big money comps, I just don't understand how they continue running these big comps because they'd be running at a huge loss. Mm-hmm. It does not make any sense. And so last year we ran the um, the national comp. We raised about $12,500 through sponsorship. It's something that's sustainable. We can run that every two years. So we're going to run biannually so it's a con that you can run every two years we're not giving away a hundred thousand dollars in like a weekend like it's just not sustainable right so i mean look at even look at um the current comp a few years ago when they had two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something remember that one Unreal. or something yeah. crazy i mean yeah then the- and then the next year they dropped the money all the way down and then yeah. pretty much you, you kind of ruin the essence of what it was supposed to be about from the beginning so look, man, I'm, I'm a big believer in sustainability you know how do we make it sustainable yeah, and then, so this is this is what I w- mentioned when I said I wanted to come back and talk about nationals because, like, the Kern is a great example. Kern, he he was I, I can't remember if he's the landlord or friends with Gracie who ran California Elite Training Center over there, but he just bankrolled the whole thing. Just yeah. so happened that he had the money to be able to like say, here, go do whatever you want with it. And it's great to say, hey, we've got a whole bunch of cash. Everyone come and compete. But if you can't back that up with a great competition and if you can't back it up with uh, an atmosphere, with the equipment, with the, you know, with the room, with everything that comes with running a great competition, a great stream, then, of course, it's going to die. You know, money is not yeah. everything in this case. And, you know, uh-huh. one, one thing that um, uh, we've had an imbalance of, especially in powerlifting, and I think we're doing it well in Australia, um, is this imbalance of like, okay, yeah, you can throw money at it or you can run great comps with no money. How do we do put the two together? Um, and, you know, something like the, the, the invitational that you guys did last year was a great example of that. So um, this is where I wanted to segue into, you know, the way that you guys run comps, what can people expect for something like GPC Nationals this year? 
Um, so we're, we're, we're going to change up nationals a little bit this year for a couple of reasons. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to reduce the amount of lifters we have. We're only going to be inviting 105 lifters. So we're going to be running four flights on the Saturday and three flights on the Sunday. So it's going to be very, very difficult to get into. I've already started looking at the potential invites in each weight class um, and it's going to be highly competitive, which I think isn't a good thing. I mean, we don't, we don't need to run nationals with 300 lifters. That's crazy. We want nationals to be something that people actually have to try and achieve. They don't sort of just automatically get in because they've been competing, you know. So that's the first thing that's going to happen. So we're only going to invite 105. Outside of that, man, look, we've pretty much we pretty much nailed everything else that we have to do here. Obviously, we're going to have all, you know, all custom banners and logos and, you know, you've seen the website, all that stuff. So all the marketing, all the, um, I guess, all the imagery and all the branding stuff is already out there. Um, so it's just a matter of, we've, got, we've obviously a little bit of time out now, so there's still quite some time. But look, man, we're going to try and uh, do a few different things this year. I'm going to have an opening ceremony. We're going to be in the national anthem. I've got a singer. I've got an opera singer who's going to be doing the national anthem. Mate, we're going to try and really, like, polish this up, right? Um, the, the gala dinner is going to be fantastic. It's at uh, a fantastic uh, hotel in the city at uh, Fraser Suite Apartments, so the accommodation also will be there. There will be discounts on accommodation. Um, it's going to be good. There's going to be speeches and awards at the presentation dinner. So, man, we're really looking forward to it. What we're trying to do is try and replicate part of what Paul did for the APU meet in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, you know, and that was a that was such a good meet. Like it was just polished. You know, every facet of that meet was there was no stone left unturned. Right, so I had show bags. It was crazy. It was honestly insane. You know, and that's what we're going to try and do this year for Chippa Nats. You know, just try and try and up the ante a little bit. You know, I mean, you know, so that's sort of where we are with that right now. I mean, it's, we're still a fair way out, so you know, it's yeah. hard to get into a lot of details. We sort of have obviously some plans in, you know in place but there'll be tiered seating here um you know so it'll be it'll be good yeah looking forward to it hopefully with hopefully people can travel that, then that's the yeah, that's for pe- people who for people who don't really know maybe what we have here in the gym um like expect the warm-up room to have six monoliths you know so the six so inches four or five combos four four or five deadlift platforms all calibrated weight um, yeah, there'll be uh, we have our own, as you know, a customized competition system. So there'll be monitors at the back to give you score sheets and lifting orders of all the flights, and there'll be multiple monitors as well in and around the platform to keep everyone informed. So it's it runs very smoothly. Yeah, and I think you know this is this is the stuff that people miss. It's like the actual competition day is part of the competition process, but like the planning, the mm-hmm. thought, the communication with the lifters, um, and then the competition day itself with the amount of warm up stuff that you have with the way that the room set up with the, um, with the lighting, with the commentating, with the live stream, like what, what you guys do at Ruchi's with competitions is second to none like that I've seen in the entire world. Um, and so people going to nationals expect a fucking good show. It's going to, it should be, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it should be really yeah, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be good. So, look, at the moment, obviously, we're still running meets. We're still getting people into the qualifying list. So, there's still a bit of way to go. I think the first round of invites go out early June. I can't remember. But if you go to 2022gpcnationals.com, um, go to qualifying, there's all the information and also a link to the sheet so you can have a look at the current qualifying list. Um, getting a lot of traffic. Obviously, I monitor the traffic on a weekly basis. So, a lot of people like going there and having a look, and mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, so... 
Well, I think it's going to be a great meet. I'm looking forward to it. So it's one that we've been wanting to run for a long time. And when Scotty asked me last year, I just jumped at it. I'd, why would I say no? You know. So you know, GPC has always had that rule. I don't know what you want to call it a rule, where they wanted the GPC nationals to be run like guidelines. <laughs> they wanted the comp to be run in like a hotel, so there's the accommodation there. And that. to be honest, I, th- I think now with the kind of facilities that we have here in Australia, obviously. In- particularly ours, we don't need to do that anymore. We have facilities that are already set up. We have a turnkey solution. We can spend our time focusing on actually making the meat better in pretty much every facet than having to worry about how we get monos there, how do we set up a platform, How do, you know what I mean? So I think what you'll find this year is we'll have so much more accessories around the comp that will be so much more amplified because obviously we can spend the time on it. And that's what's going to make the comp better. It makes the experience better for the lifters, you know. So we're looking forward to, like, having the attention on us for that weekend so that we can really show Australia, like, what we can do here, yeah. I don't, I don't think I can speak for the lifters, but I can definitely speak for myself, and this would be my assumption for most lifters. It's actually way nicer to lift in a gym than in a hotel. Like, you know, when you've got fucking weird-ass mm. carpet, you're in a real weird environment, normal yeah. space is all cramped <laughs> up. <laughs> The music's not right. No, no, it's everything. It just feels wrong to be lifting in a place that's not a gym. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's. I know what you mean, actually, now that you mentioned. I never thought of it, but it's true. Like you go to like a hotel, it's got weird carpet from the 1980s. It, yeah, it doesn't feel right. Yeah, Casino carpet. Casino carpet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so here's a question. Um, Paul, now you're heavyweight natural bodybuilding champion of the world. Have you guys drawn. <laughs> drawn any sort of inspiration or uh, anything from the models good or bad of how those competitions are run because you know they run very different they run very different financially as well um <laughs> yes um, they are <laughs> I, speak, I speak to Kerry a lot um who's um the organizer in wa for the icn the owner of the icn wa and she runs the the shows here and we, we talk a lot about you know some of the differences in how the meets are run and you know all sorts of things mm. the, the models are very different and yeah. it, it's very hard to replicate the great stuff that happens at a bodybuilding show into a powerlifting show and it's and and also vice versa because mm. they're just vastly different mm. one of the major differences is, is that in powerlifting you only ever have one competitor on the stage in bodybuilding you can have 25 competitors on the stage and so that simple fact makes things very different um, in, in terms of the economic structure as well. Um, you know, if you if you could have 25 people on a platform in powerlifting, imagine the prize money or the trophies or the whatever, the swords you could give, give out because you'd have more of a purse, right? Yeah. Um, that's not the case in powerlifting. We have one person at any one time. Um, it's the time that's consuming. really a, one of the major factors um we find in in that sort of you know that key difference the other one is bodybuilding needs elevated stages and proper lighting and all that type of thing but we don't necessarily in fact i'm against elevated stages for powerlifting um you know when you got heavy weights when you got heavy weights being lifted around you don't you want to you want to be on firm ground you know so um, yeah, there's just so many differences. It's just, you yeah. know, we have talked about doing a combined kind of a, I don't know, a hybrid show. Event or not, not, not together, but 
run at the same time, kind of like they do it, you know, um, yeah. fitness experts or whatever, you know, yeah. experts. Yeah. So we have talked about doing a, like an expert style where we can bomb, maybe perhaps combine something, but that hasn't come to fruition yet. But um, yeah. And the other thing with bodybuilding is then, like Paul said, they need the venue that has the elevator stage, that has the tiered thing. Otherwise, you can't see anything. It's ideal. It's yeah. ideal, yeah. It is quite a different sport. What well, I've obviously been to a couple of bodybuilding shows now that I haven't previously been to. And, you know, obviously as a media director and event organiser, I did sort of, I was looking around a lot and, and just sort of looking mm-hmm. at how they run things. I was particularly looking at things like the registration process, what they give competitors part of the registration process, the mm-hmm. awards, sort of how from that perspective, because that's, you can replicate some of that stuff. That's true. The competition, the competition itself is like completely different. Yes. It's, like Paul said, it's like, you may as well prepare soccer and powerlifting. Very difficult. <laughs> but the, the, the stuff that happens outside of that um, can definitely be, um, we can definitely learn from bodybuilding. I still think we do that stuff pretty well. Yeah, we do. We do. You know, I think. What, what sort of stuff are you speaking about specifically? Because I think some other people could probably learn from it. Well, the registration process, how they apply, how the, the lifters or the, the was register yeah. um, when they go to the venue. They, there's a registration desk. They get like little packs and gifts and all sorts of stuff as part of their registration. Um, you just think just sort of little things like that that sort of like just make it a really nice experience for the uh, for the competitor. Um, look, also they do some really cool awards. Like Paul's trope, Paul's sword is behind us there, behind Frankie Bones. You know, they, so they do some really cool stuff. Obviously, some of that stuff can be. Yeah, maybe in some powerlifting comps you might not have the budget for such elaborate prizes, but I don't know that some meet directors have toyed with some really cool prizes, like the custom ones that have been made recently, you know, for different meets, like the Pro ones, even the ones we had Scott made, um, which are which are going to be the same trophies that we're going to have at Nationals, so we're going to have nice big custom-made trophies. Um, just things like that, man, like just polishing stuff, not, not really stuff around the comp, more just about, you know, even the T-shirts and all the lanyards and just all that sort of nice polishing stuff that just sort of just... Mm you know, just finishes it off. Yeah, for sure. The other, the other big difference between the two is in, in, in bodybuilding, you have two seasons, right? In one year, you've got you know, season A and season B. So you only really have two shows in the state per year. In powerlifting, we can run 12 meets here. Yeah. So, I don't know, it just feels a bit different. Like, you know, it, I suppose when you have, you know, scarce events or shows, it feels a bit more special. And I don't mean that in a negative way, just because there's only two of them. You know what I mean? But in powerlifting, so every four weeks, there's, there's a compound. And look, outside of that, at the moment, there's there's that many federations in the country. It seems like that every weekend there's a compound. To be honest, it's getting a little bit Which ridiculous. Which makes it worse as well, I guess. I'm, a hu- I'm against this big time, but it's obviously... Look, the problem with this is we're all going to have an opinion that's biased towards our own world <laughs> you know sure. so yeah look it's a difficult it's a difficult thing but you know Paul and I decided a long time ago we're not going to worry too much about other federations or who's running what we'll just keep doing what we're doing and let the lifters decide where the best comps are and where they want to lift and like you know and let's be real we have out of all the comps here in WA I would say we probably have 80 to 90 percent of the, the starts so you know I think that, that's all that matters um, well, I think something we can all agree on is that we're stoked that PA is gone. Well, what? <laughs> no, I'm just being a dick. I said we're stoked that <laughs> PA is gone. <laughs> is it actually wrapped up? Oh, I don't know. 
Yeah. I, I don't know of any PA comps that are happening. I know they're still trying to run the, um, uh, the coaching course thing. Like there's still dates up for that. Yeah. I don't know if they're actually physically running them. Or not. I mean, you can't say that, but I mean, there could be an argument made that drug, drug tested toileting is probably worse now in that there's more you know, options. <laughs> I mean, even let's I, don't, look, I mean, I don't know what it's like, but even if you just look locally here in WA, there's APL, there is APU, um, and I think they're still running some PA meets here. So they're very small, but like, do we really need three drug tested federations? I mean, it seems a little bit cool, you know, but unfortunately, it is what it is. Um, it is, it is at the moment what it is. If in the, in your perfect world, what's the solution? Like one body that has tested and untested all under the one thing? Um, no, I think you actually need two federations, one drug tested and one not drug tested. I think the reason is if you try and get your um, ASC funding, you will not get funding if you're also running drug tested, non-drug tested. Yes. So you have to have separate federations. Um that's how I feel. Now, how that works, I have no idea because at the end of the day, obviously, I'm going to be saying GPC. <laughs> well, you know, obviously, the meets that we run, I don't know what it looks like. I think it needs an overhaul from top to bottom. Um, and there's no reason why, for example, let's just say we only had drug tested and non-drug tested. There's no reason why we could hold um, both and then another venue or another a gym can also hold a couple of pumps and we share the load that way. Unfortunately, I'll be honest, I don't see that happening. And it's something that I've tried to, you know, Marcos has had struggle with this as well, which is why he come up with Pro Raw, right? Man, I, I've given up trying to have this conversation with people because it just it's actually getting worse. You know, then, then last year they introduced Metal Militia or whatever that federation is. Like, why? Why do we need all these feds? I just, I just it blows my mind. And unfortunately, what you're doing is watering down a sport that's already watered down to a point that some comps are getting like 10 lifters or less. There's more volunteer than actual competitors, which to me makes mm. no sense. Not to mention you go on Facebook and every second person's a national champion or they're breaking a, a record and, you know, it's, it's crazy, you know. I, I'm quite a traditionalist this way. I would much prefer there to be um, the two feds, um, really good progression in the sport, so qualifying for states, qualifying for nationals, qualifying for worlds with a clearly defined progression through the sport. Um but unfortunately, we just don't have that, you know. And I, I don't know what it's going to take to change that. Unfortunately, dude, mm. it's not happening. <laughs> no, I always think it's of the lifters' right. perspective as well. Like we see this from our role in terms of having been lifters and now having been leaders in the sport. From a new lifters' perspective, you know, the questions they ask us: What, what do you think of this fit? What fence should I compete in? It's like, oh fuck, mm-hmm. gotta have the con- gather around, children. Let me tell you a story. You know, it's, it's so annoying. Um, because yeah, the, the choice is overwhelming for someone coming into it and it doesn't make any sense. Like for someone with fresh eyes looking at, hey, I think I'll compete in powerlifting, then they find all these federations. They're like, this doesn't quite make sense to me. I just want to lift weights. I know. I know. I get this question all the time, Tom, you know, as well. You know, it's just, I don't even know what to say sometimes. And I'll, it's crazy. So, well, I mean, yeah. what you regularly say is choose the meats. That you enjoy yeah. and uh, the best meats. Correct. That's what you yeah. regularly I say. say we run these yeah. meats. Um, come down and have a look or register, and then go have a look at some other meats. And then work out for yourself which one suits you in terms of like the competitive environment, the actual quality of the competition, yeah. the vibe, and then make a decision based yeah. on that. The value. Unfortunately, what you have is people choosing meats because they can win an easy gold medal. 
mm. or break an easy record in a federation. That's what bugs me the most because that's the wrong way to choose a federation um, rather than choosing a federation based on merit that actually makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it is what it is. Oh, yeah. There are other reasons. Hmm. Yeah. Obviously, there's going to be loyalties, you know. Yeah, Capo's got loyal members. GPC has loyal members. You know, there's always going to be there. And I actually think that's a good thing because it means that you have members that are quite sticky to your federation and they're not chopping and changing all the time. It's actually a benefit. It benefits all of us in a way because, yeah, again, it means that members aren't going to jump around. Um, but it also sucks in a way because it means we're always going to have this broken model of powerlifting <laughs> where, you know, we've got 17 uh, national champions in the 82 and a half kilo club. Um, let's get away from boring powerlifting shit and back to the gym. Uh, so how big was the initial gym, the first one? 170 squares. And how big is this? New one? This is 1350. Okay, so almost 10 times. Uh, you know, nine times bigger, whatever it is. Um, I think our admin area is bigger than our first gym. That's great. That's so good. So um, Which is what, what, what's but. the future look like for Richie's gym? Where do you guys see your gym going from here? It's a very good question. It's a question that Paul and I probably talk about at least on a weekly basis. Um, look, I think right now in terms of the building and what we have here, I think we're in the perfect location for what we have. The size is perfect. I'm pretty happy here, man. We're very happy here. We've got a longer-term lease here. Because, yeah. Look, I don't see us moving from here unless we were forced to move from here. I don't, to be honest, we also discussed opening a second gym a couple of years ago. Um, we've decided against that only for a few reasons. One is managed. It's an extra overhead that we just don't need. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just we don't have the capacity within ourselves to do any more work. I just, I'm flat out. Um, obviously, we do have lots of staff. You also, once you open a second venue, you have, obviously, you have to rate, you know, you need capital to open it. You need more staff. There's a whole bunch of more connections and connectivity that you need to, um, to work out in order for it to be successful. And we, so we decided, decided against it. Because initially, I guess our whole goal was to have one just amazing facility that was like well-known, that was like a benchmark that, um, you know, so that's that's sort of where we're staying. And I, I don't see us opening a second gym, even though we get asked quite a lot. Um, we're pretty happy where we are. In terms of like where we're going, look, man, we're continuing to grow. We're significantly growing, especially our general population, our services, our semi-privates, our personal training and coaching services. Obviously, we have staff now and a lot of the work they do is on general general population. At the same time, man, the powerlifting side is just, we find is an organic growth. People know us. They, they gravitate towards us once they find strength training in the sport. And so that's really just an, an organic kind of growth. Um, but we certainly do push... Um, you know, because obviously, uh, you know, in order for us to maintain this building and our staff, we need people training and working with us, right? So, I mean, I think you'll probably find the same that even in your gyms, you, you've had to like really try and work with a lot more gen pop in order to pay the bills, essentially. So, um, look, man, we're pretty comfortable with what we're doing and we're just going to keep doing it and see where it goes. Yeah. Actually, I like, um, I, I come and train with the, with the strength pop classes. I actually really like mm. um, training. Let's, let's just say non powerlifters, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 People, it's an, it's amazing to train with them, to strength train with them, because that's how we started. Mm, we yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of them do. Some of them do transition over to to powerlifting, which is great. But look, what we, we try and tell people is we use our knowledge and our experience, um, and I guess our our model that we use for powerlifting, and we try and apply that to the general person. 
And so we use that modality to help them get the results they're after. So, and people love strength training now. It's, it's huge. Um, there is definitely a lot more people that are being um, given advice from their doctors and their GPs uh, to do strength training, their physios. So naturally they find us through those avenues as well. So man, to be honest, we're pretty happy at the moment. Yeah. I'm, yeah. What about yourself? How many, you know, more gyms? No. Um, before I answer that question, any, any coaches or gym owners that were just listening to that, like that is the best piece of advice that you can take from you know, one of the most successful strength training powerlifting gyms in the country is that listen to what Dan and Paul were just talking about in terms of the language they used to talk about their market. Like they weren't saying we try and market to all the powerlifters because you'd just be marketing to your own members. Like all the, all the powerlifters find powerlifting. They're not the people that you want to talk to. You want to talk to the people that are interested in strength training. And then if they get interested in powerlifting, it's like, hey, you're in the right spot already. Great. Now you can do it. Exactly. And you'll notice a lot of the stuff that I post, Paul is not big on social media. I mainly do a lot of that stuff. The, the, a lot of the stuff that I post isn't directed at powerlifters. It's directed at the general person, you know, looking to get their attention, trying to spark an interest or get them to get off their ass and do something type, type stuff, you know. Because we don't need to market to powerlifters. They already know who we are. If they wanted to come here, they would already be here. So we don't really waste a lot of our marketing effort or even just time trying to market to powerlifters because it would actually just be a waste of time. So a lot of our efforts towards just the general person and trying to convert them into this model, I guess, into this regime. Yeah, <laughs> into this <exactly>. regime. <laughs> it's just strength training, man. Yeah, we're just strength training. Right? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like We didn't invent it. We just use it. Every gym's got their own flavor, though, and how they do things and how they present things and you know how they onboard clients and how they deal with them. So, um, yeah, we, we've actually spent a lot, a lot of time, especially in the last 12 months, working on our processes, documenting our processes, because now with more staff, there's more requirement for training and making sure that people are doing things correctly. So, you know, I've been spending a lot of time recently on doing like lots of training videos and doing lots of one-on-one training with clients, uh, with, um, with our staff, um, you know, just going through things and just keeping people updated with any changes and making sure that, you know, just doing things correctly and they're happy. And, and when you've got staff, you need to look after staff and we're Paul and I are really big on that. So we've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time, be a mentoring and then and we love our staff yeah. I'm, I'm sure you, you as well we love our staff and to be honest we're probably going to be looking for another staff member very soon um we're actually going to be onboarding um um a pa very soon an admin person and also we're probably going to be looking for another coach very soon as well amazing so if you're interested <laughs> hit them up exactly and was it was it scary at first when you when you first got extra coaching staff, like on the books coaching staff, you know, not contractors, um, you know, maintaining the quality of the product that you're selling. Cause obviously, you know, your name's on the, your name's on the gym. It's, it's gotta be representative of, of what you guys do by the sounds of it. You know, you put a lot of time and effort and energy and work into making sure that that product is consistent. Was that always how it was from the start? It's a good question. And, before we actually had full-time or actually employees, we had, you know, we had contractors, right? And what we found with the contractors was they weren't really integrated into our model, into the Ruchi name very well. They did their own thing. They had their own brand names, that type of thing. And we hated that model. You know, you couldn't get them to come to a meeting because it was non-billable. It was just a pain in the ass. So we decided, um, I think last year we hired Elliot as our first full-time um, coach. Um, I'd been working with Elliot 
I've been coaching him for like three years before that. In a way, I've literally been training him for the job anyway. And Elliot has been a PT for 10 years. So he literally like hit the ground running pretty well. So he was actually quite easy to onboard because I've pretty much been onboarding him for three years. Um, the biggest, and I guess it was very, very scary hiring initially because, you know, you've got to outlay, you know, you're responsible for someone. You don't want to get them in and then you don't want to fuck them over, right? You know, you've got to, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars a year. Are you going to have enough work staying, paying them? There's a whole bunch of questions that come, um, that come, you know, and I guess stress and fear that come with hiring your first employee. But to be honest, once we hired Elliot, it was funny though. We hired Elliot last um, in February. No, not last year. 2020, 2020, sorry, 2020. Correct. We hired Elliot and then two months later, 10 week lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, nah, this can't be happening. Yeah, so that was a bit stressful. Um, now, yeah, it's a bit. But once we onboarded it and once he sort of started to get going, you know, we wondered how we survived without him. How did we do all this work with this, you know? Um, I think once sort of, you know, once we onboarded Elliot and he, he was like, you know, he had momentum, it was it. The next was easier. You know? yeah yeah it does get easier yeah, it does get know? easier and when you see the value that they add to the to the business and to the gym and to the community um yeah. it does make the decision a lot easier so now we have two full-time coaches one and two part-time coaches um and we're probably going to bring on another part-timer very soon as well so yeah look man it's 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 been great for us having the coaches and to be honest Paul and I have definitely since since we onboarded Elliot. Um, Paul and I have definitely started to scale back the amount of individual coaching clients that we work with. Before COVID hit, I think I had sixty five in my roster. That was way too many. It was just you know it's like you're watching at least three videos a week of each client. You're doing. I didn't have time to work on the business and just administrative stuff, and you know, it was a nightmare. So the idea was to obviously onboard some coaches and the barrier that we had was how do we get people to come in and then want to work with someone that's not Paul or I, mm -hmm. you know, you've had the same thing, right? Sure. So, but we've actually managed to work through that pretty well. So we're at a point now where we're really comfortable um, with that, which is good. Paul, I think I'm down to about, I think I'm on 25 of my own clients now and Paul's down to even that. He's like on 15. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, that's just a symptom of us having to have spend time mentoring staff members, working with sure. business. There's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Um, so it's, to be honest, it's actually been a, a godsend because before I was like way too stressed out, like trying to make sure I'm keeping 65 people happy. You know, a lot of them are booking one-on-one. -on -one. Then I'm trying to run the business and market and it's, it was very difficult. So it's, it's been fantastic, man. So what we do, which being, um, so the, the clients that we work with once a week, we have like a round table or the coaches get together. We bring up the coaching rosters. We have a traffic light system for our clients, you know, in each sheet. Um, we, we go through the clients that are, you know, maybe just starting to drop off. We're not, you know, not doing their sessions. And we start to discuss how we can reactivate them, how we get them going. You know, and we do things sometimes like offer free one-on-one -on -one coaching, you know, to try and get them back into the gym or, you know, give them a call. You know, there's different ways that we can try and neck me up all my clients. Don't this and Yeah. <laughs> No, well, well, that's stupid. Well, it doesn't happen all the time, but you know, there, there's my point is as a team, we work through issues that we have with clients. So even if people aren't working directly with Paul and I, they're indirectly getting the benefit of our, of our experience. So even things like if things come up in their training that some of the coaches might 
just need a bit of clarity or just might need some ideas, we discuss it as a group as well. Um, and that way they can go back and we've all learned something from it as well. So we do that once a week um, and we go through pretty much the whole co- coaching roster and bring up issues and, you know, that type of thing. But in terms of delivering, in regards to your initial question, delivering like a, a standard product, we all of our coaching goes through one portal. We use True Coach, as you know. And, you know, we have work, done a lot of work on True Coach. Mm. to standardize programming and the way we do annual planning and stuff and that everyone uses the, uses the same model mm. and so it's a very standardized approach we see we've been using true coach for years and years so it's really come a long way yeah so we started using true coach way before anyone was using um but so, people were still using spreadsheets yeah, yeah i think we introduced true coach i think we've been on this platform now probably three four maybe four years keep going bro yeah, four yeah. years. No, um, that. Because, you know, we got to the point where managing a spreadsheet and sending up a spreadsheet backwards and forwards to a client was just a pain in the ass. Dude, I was in hospital in 2018 and I was using it and that was four years ago. Yeah, so it's been probably been longer. So now when you, you know, I think our coaching roster, I think we've got about 140 clients that we look after, spread between obviously the, uh, the, the five of us now. Um, so it's not like a small coaching roster. It's pretty decent. Yeah, and, uh, but we have capacity now. You know, we've just brought on another coach um, who's great, and yeah, we've probably got capacity for more. But it's definitely a growing, a growing area, which is good. Awesome. Well, guys, I mean, we've been going for over an hour now, so we better call it there. Yeah. How can people yeah. find you? Uh, social media very easy. Rootsgym.com in your web browser, or you just at Rootsy's Gym um, in Instagram. Um, but yeah, we'd love to for to follow us and stay up to date with everything that's going on and all the event information as well, and just a whole bunch of articles and good content is posted through our social media channels. So yeah, awesome, amazing. Thank well, you, thank Tom. you for your time. time. No, appreciate it. We'll talk oh, to we you, appreciate you, man. Thank you very much.